Welcome to the world of fiction, where we're lying, but that's okay. One prepared host, two neurodivergent nerds, two authors dig deeper into the lies that expose truths. If you're a fan of fiction with a curious mind, tune in each week for discussions on speculative worlds, fandom, the industry, and creating. Let's talk about our writing processes. I'm your prepared host, J.S. Garrity. And I'm the host who's winging it, Ludlow Adams. For our new listeners out there, every week I choose and prepare a topic because I'm a researcher and a planner. And I find out the topic a half an hour before because I'm an improviser and good on my feet. Let's get into it. So this is going to be part one of a three-part writing series. When we started this podcast, we didn't really want to make it an exclusively writing podcast um, because we do want to, you know, attract a listener base that's more than just other writers. Um, but we do uh, like to talk about writing sometimes, and I think it can be interesting for a non-writer to hear a little bit about how that all works. So... This will be our like little three-parter, three-part episode um, on our writing process. Yeah, this is one of those topics that I, I read and I'm like, oh, she's choosing violence again today. <laughs> my my writing process is just such a mess, and it feels like it feels like uh, you know a little a little rough talking about it sometimes. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, that's pretty normal. I feel like. You know, authors, we always talk about, like, this is the writing routine, this is the process. But then when you actually get into it, a lot of that just like, <coughs> falls away. And there's a lot of unexpected things that happen. and It never quite goes according to plan. No, no. <laughs> so first, I want to address the um, planner and pantser kind of uh, labels that get thrown around mm. a lot in the writing community. Um, those labels are a little bit controversial. Some people really buy into them. Some people say they're just total myth. That's not how it works. Um, I think my my personal opinion is there's a there's a middle ground there that people could be mostly planners or mostly pantsers, but it's kind of hard to be um a hundred percent one or the other. Yeah, I agree. One hundred percent. Now, you know, you, you read like Stephen King's process and he basically is a pantser for the first draft. Mm -hmm. Um and as has been pointed out, the first draft, if you don't have an outline, your first draft is your outline. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that gives you the rough stuff. So um yeah, that's kind of interesting to me. And then uh on the flip side, you've got someone like Brandon who is very organized but mm -hmm. still leaves his character arcs up to kind of being pants mm -hmm. so that he has something to kind of think about while he's going through the whole system. And, and he's got something he can play around with a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So he leaves character building very much to to, you know, what happens in his head when he's writing it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think there's like a group of people who feel like 
that character arc has to be established first. And then there's people who just want to kind of see where the characters take them. Um, a lot of people talk about their characters like they're, you know, real people that they don't really have a lot of control over because as you're writing, the character develops and then you realize, no, this is what the character would do right now, not that other thing that I originally thought they might do. And that doesn't make sense anymore. And that's kind of yeah. what people mean when they're saying their characters are are doing things that they didn't tell them to do or um, whatever. It's it's just kind of how it develops. You realize, no, wait, that's not really what would happen. Um, yeah, and there's there's kind of two different camps there of how, how that character development happens. Um, I tend to try and plan it because I, I like yeah. to have a plan. And then it never really goes according to plan. Um, like with my thesis novel, about halfway through, actually more than halfway through, I realized I wanted to trash the entire like character arc that I had for my protagonist and completely mm -hmm. redo it, which, you know, I don't necessarily recommend when you have um, these really intense deadlines in an MFA program. <laughs> um <laughs> My my, re my revisions are cut out for me. Um, it's it's gonna be a busy couple months, but um, yeah. I mean, it like I I tried to plan for it, and I just wasn't feeling it when I was writing it, and I had to go back and really just change everything. So yeah, you can plan all you want; things are gonna change. Yeah, that's really what happens when I'm like like I'll I'll sketch things out and I give myself a really loose plan, mm -hmm. and then I just write. You know, and um, I really want to get better about that because what I've noticed is if I give myself some some more notes, like this is what I want to accomplish in this scene, I tend to like I just tend to do a little bit better. Mm -hmm. um, I might get there an entirely different way than I expected, but, you know, that happens when I just sit down and start writing. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, you know, the way you're talking about your characters and kind of, you know, you feel it through at the time, that's everything for me. Mm -hmm. So I might say, OK, I want to go from A, B, C and D to, you know, E, F, G, H. But yet later it's entirely different. It's a whole new game plan mm -hmm. as I sit down to write it out. So, um, yeah, it's uh, for me, it's just kind of it feels more honest, I guess. It feels yeah, more real. Yeah. When I, when I give myself that kind of flexibility. More organic, so, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I still, I actually want to become more of a plotter mm -hmm. or more of an architect, I guess, is one of the other ways of saying it. Architect versus gardener, mm -hmm. I think is what it is. So, yeah, I definitely want to do, I want to do more of it because I feel like I'm more effective. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm still looking for that way of getting it done in, in my way. Yeah. For myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, my, my first novel weight of gold is very character driven. So mm -hmm. I didn't really have to do much plotting for it. It was okay. This is where I want them to start. And this is where I want them to end. And I'm just going to write that story as authentically as possible. And then mm -hmm. I really kind of, um, focused everything with the revision process and, you know, turned it into a more polished, um, kind of story. Uh, for my thesis novel, though, it's a you know a fantasy, and 
Um, fantasies are a lot more prop plot heavy. And <laughs> yeah. And so I kind of psyched myself out a little bit. And in the beginning, just like really uh pushed this plot thing and freaked myself out with it and intimidated myself. And um part of that was I was listening to Stormlight Archives and and you know beating myself up because my plot's never going to be as complex as Brandon Sanderson's plots, <laughs> um, which is a very unrealistic expectation for your very first fantasy novel. Um, I, I would also I would also point out that Brandon's writing twenty years ago is entirely different. Yeah, yeah, than Brandon's absolutely. Writing now, absolutely. You know, he's he's worked on developing that mm -hmm. that richness, that depth. Yeah. So you know, you're not neither of us is doing anything wrong in that regard. Mm -hmm. It just you know, it's a whole lot of practice. What, yeah. what What's that saying? Writers are going to have about a million words that kind of suck. Mm -hmm. So just get through those as fast as you can Yeah, and get to the good words. Mm -hmm. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, the plotting, plot-heavy stuff is new to me. And um, it's, it's been an interesting process trying to figure out how I how I do that I, I made it very detailed and structured my outline was like 10-15 pages long somewhere in there super mm -hmm. super detailed and what I have now is just completely different than my initial mm -hmm. outline and one of our assignments for our our capstone um, this term is to submit our outlines as a part of our portfolios and the idea is that you've already done a lot of the work for the things you submit for your portfolio, but I have to completely redo my outline because it I is not the same. Yeah. What was interesting was when I was first outlining it, I um, had two perspective characters mm -hmm. um, dealing that, with very, yeah. very different, very different things, um, you know, different parts of the same war. But um, I realized that there was enough story there. <clears throat> Excuse me. So sorry. Okay. Um, I uh, I realized I had enough story there for both of them to write a full novel or mm -hmm. at least 50, 60,000 words a piece. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm going with it now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's focus on our thesis novels for a second, because that's what we're both currently working on are these thesis novels. So how... Yep. Did your I know a little bit of this story already, but um, how did your uh, concept come to be? Where'd you get the oh. idea from, and how did you develop it? Yeah, so um, it came from the fact that I had to have a new idea in about three days mm -hmm. um, because I was going to do a steampunk war story, and you know. Um, that professor melissa marr um who's fantastic was like you know there's some issues here that you might not be able to really tell this story yet like people may not accept it from you mm -hmm. yet until they know more about who you are as a person i'm like oh that's a really good point um just some character characterization kind of stuff and yeah. some other things um including using some actually some fairly problematic figures from history so it, it takes place during um the american civil war or at least the war between the states is going on but it takes place on a steampunk mars and so like uh 
General Custer, George George Armstrong Custer was going to be one of the characters. Um, Stonewall Jackson was going to be another one of the characters. And, you know, I'm this guy that kind of out of nowhere, if I'm writing things like that, people are going to kind of look at me a little different than somebody like Harry Turtledove, who has been doing this for decades. And everybody knows um, if they read his books, they know that he's not trying to glorify their causes. Mm -hmm. Um and so, yeah, that was kind of interesting. So I sat down with a friend of mine and a little notebook and um, at a at my favorite at our favorite comic and game shop. And we we went through outlines for about two, two and a half hours and just kind of mm-hmm. fine tuned an idea. Um, and then we got my outline down and then we re outlined a novel of his and mm-hmm. in, in in during that time as well. Um, so really where it was coming from was if anybody, anybody who has listened to our role-playing and LARP, uh, session, um, episode, um, part of it came from weekend warrior experience with the Rangers. Another part of it came from a miniatures game called Rangers of Shadow Deep. And then the rest of it was just me tweaking it all to make it more me. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized that if I make it kind of a fantasy zombie survival in one point it 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 could be kind of fun too mm-hmm. yeah yeah <laughs> so sometimes um you can get inspired right you get this inspiration like oh that's a book and yeah. other times you have to like pull it out from somewhere you have to really work yeah. to get it so yours is yeah. a good example of of really having to sit down and work to get a story um, yeah. and I, I think most authors would say that's the, the majority of the time is what you're doing. Um, the inspiration moments are, are more rare. And a lot of times those inspiration moments don't end up being enough for a whole concept. Um, yeah. and you could, you know, put in the work to turn it into a full concept. Um, and then there's the, this happens a lot, I think, where people have a dream and they're like, that'd be a good book. And, and, but then when you, you've been awake for more than a few minutes, you realize, no, that doesn't actually make any sense at all. <laughs> it makes sense in yeah. my dream, but it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, yeah. Well, when, what, when one part of your brain is telling a story to another part of your brain, it feels really real. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels so rich mm-hmm. and so alive Mm -hmm. and then you're like yeah this doesn't work Mm -hmm. (laughs) at at all (laughs) yeah I've had a lot of of dreams where I'm like oh that should be a book and it just doesn't work but surprisingly for my thesis novel that did start as a dream um the dream didn't make any sense but I took just one element from that and that element was a fae um finding herself in the modern human world. Mm. Um, and and I, so I just took that idea and ran with yeah. it. Um, similar to you, I, I developed it, you know, talking to, to Max. Um, I was just like told him, hey, I had this dream. And then I had this idea for this book and fantasy. I mean, I read a, a lot of fantasy, but I haven't read nearly as much as Max has. And Max mm-hmm. is much more knowledgeable about like fey and um that side of fantasy um than i am he's just 
he's read a lot more in that genre than I have um, sure. spent a lot more time in it and is more deep into the fandoms than I am necessarily. And so I was like, I need your help with this. Like, I need you to help me develop this. And um, originally we were going to write it together and mm -hmm. have, you know, two author names or, or a pen name that is representative for both of us. Um, and then I decided to, to get my master's and I needed a thesis novel idea. And, and I talked to him about it and I was like, like, can I, should I use this for my thesis novel? And he was like, you know, I'm not super comfortable at this point with actually helping write a book. He's like, I can help you with the development and you know brainstorming and all of that. But I think you should just use it for your thesis novel. So yeah. we made that decision. And he's been, I mean, just last night, he was helping me with um, developing some revisions for a subplot that I have that just wasn't really working quite yet um he helped me when i had to completely redo my protagonist character arc um and i think you know writing process a lot of times we picture an author like in a cabin in the woods isolated all by themselves and they knock out a novel but the reality is as most authors are constantly communicating with somebody and brainstorming yeah. with someone that's why there's yeah. writing groups and and critique partners yeah because it's a very it's collaborative thing yeah it, it's funny like you know there are certain parts of it that definitely feel lonely mm -hmm. like you know when you're trying to bust out a word count mm -hmm. but then you know when you do any of the other steps there's tons of people involved mm -hmm. your writing group your alpha readers your beta readers whatever your mm -hmm. editors, um, multiple editors in a lot of cases. So, yeah, it it definitely is a is a a team effort. But there are parts that really feel lonely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, um, we've talked a little bit about where our conceptions might come from, um, and then how we've you know tried to outline. And that kind of thing. So let's talk a little bit about the actual drafting and our processes for that. We actually have a really similar process for drafting. Um, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, we both kind of approach it with this uh, writing like the skeleton of a scene, like just making yeah. sure all the most necessary points are in there. Um, and then going back in and fleshing it out into an actual readable scene. So almost like the first draft is a more um, detailed outline. Yeah. And then you go in and, and develop that further. Yeah. Yeah. If, I'm, if I've got like a 10,000 uh, word uh, count that I'm looking for, I'll, I'll throw down 1,500, maybe 2,000 words, maybe. Mm -hmm. And then I go back in and I, I give it some flesh. I... I, you know, start throwing in a lot of details. I start working in um, exposition mm -hmm. and character thoughts and things along those lines. Um, and because I'm working on a military fantasy, I'm really kind of basing it off of some military sci-fi. Um, Marco Kluse, especially, he's a German-American author. He's phenomenal. Um, I love his work. They they made at least, they, they've made 
two of his short stories into um, episodes of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And and it's like, yep, yep, I can see that. That's that's how he he does stuff. Um, so I I find that there's a lot of exposition in military fantasy or military fiction in general, like yeah. even more than quote unquote regular fantasy. I think yeah. so. Um, yeah, so I get to throw in a lot of things along those lines, and I get to throw in some character thoughts and mm-hmm. you know how the character's dealing with certain things. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, especially pulling from, you know, real world training and, you know, some things along those lines, just things that we've learned as a, as a people, Mm -hmm. um, over the last, heck, even the last 20 years. I mean, there's so much more that we understand now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's, and that's kind of how we've both been going about it, especially with this thesis, um, interestingly enough, that is not at all how I did it with The Weight of Gold. Um, the Weight of Gold started out as um, a f- handful of scenes that I'd written when I was in an inspired moment, and they were very detailed and very mm-hmm. um, emotional and and uh, fleshed out from the very first draft. And that's kind of how I wrote that, because the that was the whole start of the story and the plot kind of just got pieced together, you know, kind of, you know, in the opposite direction, like after that, all that emotional and character stuff was happening. Um, so it's a very, very different approach. And um, it, it's been working well for me, I think, um, especially since this is my first time writing a plot heavy work uh, even a lot of my short stories haven't been plot heavy, even the fantasy ones. Like, um, I have a flash fiction fantasy work in an anthology, and that one doesn't really have plot in it. There's not a ton of room for plot in flash fiction anyway, but it's focused on, a, like, one moment and describing that one moment. Um, so this really was my first time doing something super plot-forward. And just doing the skeleton first was necessary for me because otherwise there's too much happening all at once in my brain. And Mm -hmm. I have to like try and keep track of, okay, this is what needs to happen in this scene. These are all the steps I need to get there. And it's just a lot easier for me to get those out down on the page first and then go in and make it an actual readable thing. Yeah. That sounds familiar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, and I'm not so sure how close to readable I am quite yet, but yeah, it's, Mm -hmm. it's definitely there. Um, I've gotten some really good feedback so far from um, my thesis professor, which I'm grateful for, because there were a couple of points where I was like, oh, I should just quit this or or whatever. Mm -hmm. She's like, nope. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank goodness for good professors. Yeah. For real. It would be a much lonelier process without without that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know, for anybody who's listening, we're actually really fortunate in that our professors are working professionals. Yes. Like, you know, they're mm-hmm. just not theory, like they've done these things. You know, my yeah. current professor like writes contract stuff for 
Disney, like in the Marvel universe and Mm -hmm. like, um, you know, book adaptations of movies and the like. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's pretty neat. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun to be able to tap into her experience. So yeah, every SNHU only hires, um, people that have published and have pretty decent experience in the industry. Um, and aren't just exclusively in academia. It's SNHU's program is very much focused on like um, career genre writing and not so much the academia side of um, an MFA. Um, a lot of programs will differ in that way. And I think we've talked about that in other episodes, so we don't need to go into it, but. <laughs> yeah, um, I think yeah. I, I think it's been a really good experience. I mean, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it, it's really forced me to to learn about it, and I think mm-hmm. I think that was one of the the points you wanted to make in this episode was you know how much our our processes have changed. Yeah, so let's go ahead and talk about that. Um, I talked a little bit about how my process was different with the weight of gold, but um, how has your process changed? Um, I'm starting to to actually develop a process. Yeah, I guess is the yeah. way to say it. So, um, I will do like, if I, if I used to write something, I would like come to a point where I needed a name or I needed something to happen. Mm -hmm. And if I couldn't figure it out, I would just stare at it and it was just so frustrating. (laughs) So now I just, you know, do the, the trick where you just put in some brackets Mm -hmm. and say, you know, blah, blah, blah happens here, or, you know, this kind of name Mm -hmm. here or you know, an archetype, uh, the assassin does this kind mm-hmm. of things or whatever. So that kind of stealth ha- s- stuff, wow, that kind of stuff has really helped me out because I'm not stuck right away and I'm not frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been one of my biggest things. And then, of course, just going back in and, and throwing down some words and then going back in and, and uh, uh, expanding on that quite a bit. That's helped out mm-hmm. a lot as well. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Weight of Gold took me five years to publish from, you know, the day I started the very first chapter um, that I ever wrote all the way to, you know, the day that I, you know, published it. Um, That was five years. (laughs) And part of that was because I, that's what I did is I would get to a point where I needed a character name or I needed to do research and I would stop right where I was and I would do that research or I would figure out that name. And that really slows down the process quite a lot. Yeah. Even, even though you say to yourself, Oh, well it has to happen anyway. So it doesn't really matter when you do it. It actually does. Um, it really makes it so much longer of a process if you're interrupting your creative flow every few pages to go and look something up or or sit and try and brainstorm names <laughs> and with weight of gold all my names changed not all of them but like half the names I had chosen changed in revisions anyway yeah um but with this one you have these strict deadlines and you have to be efficient in your time and so I you know I'll, I'll use my free write free writes a smart typewriter and I'll use that for the initial draft where I'm just getting that skeleton in I'll use those brackets like 
and I'll just write in all caps name, <laughs> name one or name <laughs> two, right? And yeah. or, yeah. you know, brackets like this needs to happen here and I'm feeling stuck on it or brackets like I need to research this. And then I'll, you know, send it from my typewriter to the computer and I'll actually spend time like, okay, this is my research time. This is my filling in the brackets time. And I'll do that and then I'll go in and flesh everything out nicely. But doing it in, in focused time sprints rather than going back and forth between the creative drafting part and the, you know, looking things up on your computer part is so much more efficient. And you'll sometimes you'll find you'll come back to it and the answers will already be there. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty normal thing about how the brain works. Like if you read a book on, on a topic and you'll pick up A, B, and C, and then you pick it up later, you know, you, you reread it a year later or something, and your brain has figured out D, E, and F, mm -hmm. and so now you've moved on to G, H, and I. Yeah. And I find that it's it's often the same thing with my writing. Now, what I did realize is I can do that you know, just kind of stop and wait for something to, to jog. But, you know, uh, like has been kind of alluded to, you lose a ton of time that mm -hmm. way. Just yeah. tons and tons of yeah. time. Um, it, not of working time, because, you know, you're still putting in the same amount of hours, but in, in calendar time. And yeah. that's awful. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah it that's takes been a time. Really big deal for your brain to transition from one kind of thing to another. So if you're in creative mode and then you suddenly stop and switch into research mode, it's going to take you time to get back into creative mode. And at least in my experience, getting into the creative mode takes the longest. And so I might switch into research mode really quick but then I really screw myself over when I'm trying to get back into creative yeah. mode. And I could lose yeah. a whole hour just trying to transition. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. There are certain things that people will say, like, you know, if it takes you half an hour, 40 minutes to kind of get into the flow, then, you know, writing an hour a day isn't nearly as productive as mm -hmm. writing like five hours on the weekend. Yeah. Um, because, you know, if you do that on the weekend, then you have four hours and 15 minutes of in the flow, mm -hmm. whereas otherwise you've got 15 minutes a day. So that brings up to like an uh, what an hour and 15 minutes, which is not at all not, yeah. uh, nearly as productive. So no. now one of the things I've discovered is I cannot sit down and say, I'm going to write all of this out or I'm going to work for an hour or two hours or whatever. I tend to do them in, in like really short sprints now. Um, mm -hmm. I started out with doing them in 500 word chunks and now I'm up to about a, a thousand, 1100 words. And I, I can knock out 10,000 words a day doing that, mm -hmm. um, which is really like a big deal for me because I'm taking near an hour off after every hundred, uh, excuse me, after every chunk, every mm -hmm. thousand or so words. Um, so that's been... That's been really interesting to to see kind of how my brain works. Yeah, yeah. Um, with that kind of thing. Yeah, let's talk about our writing routines because that's something I wanted to touch on with this writing mm. process discussion today. There's no shortage of um, advice and information out there on how to develop a writing routine. 
And the reality is, is that you just have to try a bunch of different stuff until you find what works yeah. for you. Um, yeah. Your What works for your favorite author isn't necessarily going to work for you. And I, I tried writing every day. I really tried to make that work. I committed yeah. so hard to it. I would get up at like 5 a.m. and and try and knock out a couple hours of writing. And I I really dedicated a lot of time and, and energy trying to make the daily writing thing work because I heard mm -hmm. so much advice that says you just have to make it a habit and write every single yeah. day. But it did not work for me. I could not. And I, I was successful doing it but it didn't work. I I couldn't be productive. I couldn't do what I needed to do. Yeah. And I, I just have so much else going on in my life, especially on weekdays. You know, I have kids, I have a family and, um, and I, I have a job now and it's just a lot of, of things happening on a daily basis that get in the way of, of being able to just sit and and let go of all those things and and be in your story. Yeah. Um but at the writing sprints do really work for me and that's something that I've learned about myself over the past couple few years or whatever. I sort of let go of this expectation that to be a writer you have to develop a habit of writing every day and I I finally read Oh, I don't remember what who the author was. It might have been, no, I don't think it was her. I can't remember who it was, but an author who is also a mom wrote this article about, yeah, a lot of, you get a lot of this writing routine advice from from men who um, are from a different time when there was no expectation for them to be part of the daily routines in, of their children. And that yeah. was on their wives. And and they would, it's not like they were ungrateful. Like they would say, I'm so grateful for my wife because she made it possible for me to be able to get this novel done, right? Because um, <laughs> then they can actually like take that time every single day and not have to worry about their kids and, and their yeah. family life. And she said for women, it's a little bit different because we are expected to do those things. And so her approach wasn't to write every day. It was to do writing sprints. And she would every so often check into a hotel for like three day weekend and spend the entire weekend writing. And she get could get like half a novel done mm -hmm. in a weekend or whatever. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try that. I'm going to try the writing sprints. And, and that has worked for me. I, yeah, you know, I would take, you know, three days and I would get my entire 15,000 um, word submission done in those three days which sounds like procrastination, but <laughs> it's really just what worked for me. It's yeah, it's, it's so hard. And then, you know, a, a new writer reads some of these books or listens to podcasts and, and everybody's like, Oh, you need to do it this way. And then, you know, the reasonable people are saying, well, you got to figure out what works for you, mm -hmm. but that doesn't help. It doesn't <laughs> feel like it helps. Like, no, <laughs> you know, we look at that stuff and we're like, well, what the hell, man? Like, why can't you just give me a straight answer? Mm -hmm. And the honest answer is because there isn't one. There isn't one. Yeah. You know, and and what works for you is going to change depending on where you're at in your career. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, at least that's what every writer I've ever talked with has said, you know, yeah. who, 
like if they're at the point where they're able to go full time and like really commit to full time, their writing process completely changes. Mm -hmm. So whereas they might have been able to write, you know, 15,000 words every week, Mm -hmm. you know, or, or, you know, in 15,000 words in a month because of having to put it, you know, put it off to one time, like going to a hotel, like you've said. To where they're doing like maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand words a day. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you're it's hard. I mean, it's really hard with the way the modern world works yeah. for anybody to be able to do that. Yeah. Um and and like you said, you know, especially especially a parent, especially the parent who the uh the caregiving is mostly on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I am I'm very fortunate because it's um Max is not a traditional dad in the sense of the the dad who's a little more distant from his kids or whatever. Max is very involved. And um, when I need to do a writing sprint or um, anything like writing related, because it's not just writing, there's a lot of other stuff that goes into it. Uh, he He's great about that. And he makes sure that I get the time that I need to do it. And He's very, very involved, but yeah, he also works full time on the weekdays and his job makes a lot more money than mine does. So <laughs> his job's kind of important. And um, I hear you there. <laughs> and he does do a lot of the like transporting to school and to piano lessons and and that stuff when I when I need someone to help out with that. But um, like I'm the primary like homeschool teacher because my son's homeschooled. And so I'm the primary person who does that. And um, I do have, you know, very daily things. And and I also think sometimes like being a woman growing up in the society that teaches you and conditions you to, to be responsible for certain things in a household means that it's harder for me to put all of that stuff aside, to like put aside mm-hmm. the fact that there's laundry that needs to be folded, even if I have partner who helps with all of those things and um you know like all of the household stuff there's no one of us who's in charge of those things we both just do it um I still am more likely to have a hard time leaving that behind than Max necessarily will um the mental load is is what it is it's always there and Max has a mental load too, but I feel like for women, it's a little different because of the way society kind of portrays that and what you grow mm-hmm. up with. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I could, we could do a whole episode on stuff like that, but <laughs> um, yeah, the mental load's always there. And so it takes me time to get into that creative flow and I can't do that in the like pocket of one hour or one hour and a half here and there throughout the day. So I use those pockets of time to do the things that aren't writing, but still part of my writing career, like building my platform, creating short content for like my newsletter or my blog, um, you know, podcast planning and research. I do all of that stuff in those pockets of time. And then I spend, you know, if there's a three-day weekend where my kids don't have school or Max doesn't have work, but I'm like, this is a writing day. 
end up taking this data right. Yeah. And that, that's what works for me. And it's a really good point that you bring up that there's a lot that goes along with a career in writing, especially trying to build a career in writing, mm -hmm. you know, um, besides sitting down and actually doing novel writing, mm -hmm. you're absolutely right. You've got all of your author platform stuff to do, which is yep. incredibly time intensive sometimes. And so, draining. Yeah. Emotionally draining. Yeah. Yeah. I've dropped the ball on that in the past like couple months with just everything else in life going on. Social yeah. media and my platforms are the first to go every time. Yeah. Because it's I so even... intensive. Yeah. I haven't even really started. Like I've got just some really bare bone stuff mm -hmm. that was figured out, you know. Um, but I'm I'm just not really ready for it yet, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like so, you know, this is a kind of a mental health thing, but uh being bipolar is very similar to having ADHD in the way mm -hmm. it presents. Yeah. And so I feel like I have to do A before I can go to B. So mm -hmm. I have I feel like I have to actually have finished writing a novel, period before I can do all of this other stuff, which mm -hmm. is utterly ridiculous. Um, but a yeah, lot of people feel that, though. Just the way my brain works, yeah. Yeah, a, a lot of writers think, I need to have a novel ready to go, ready to be published before I can start building a platform. Yeah, and which is... you don't. Yeah. You don't need to. Yeah. And you In actually fact, you, shouldn't. You should start yeah. early. You really need your platform first. Like, yeah. you know, that's going to be yeah. one of the things your uh your publisher your future publisher is going to be looking at mm -hmm. so they're going to mm -hmm. say it's so that the math really breaks down to is it cost effective for us to take this story and get it publishable and publish it yeah and part of that is how much of an audience is the author going to bring mm -hmm. well i'm brand new well so bad how much of a you know how much of an audience are you yeah. going to bring to this now, there are people out there who have been able to break these rules, even over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Those are very much exceptions right now. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I uh, I look at it and I'm like, I know I need to be doing this, but yeah. I just can't yet. It's not true anymore that only nonfiction authors need a platform. Fiction authors need one, too. Yeah. And even if you're traditionally published your publisher might give you a marketing stipend, but they're not going to do any marketing for you. You have to do it all yourself. Unless yeah. you're huge, unless they're like, you are going to be a number one bestseller, they're yeah. not putting any of their marketing resources yeah. into you. You have to do it yourself. And this the is... biggest part of that is going to be the audience that already follows you. Yeah. Yeah, that's something Melissa uh, pointed out to me. She's like, you know, once you get rolling, there are going to be people who are like, I am buying everything this person publishes. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. And so your diehard fans, hopefully, will bring in other fans because that's how, I mean, book sales are very much word of mouth more than anything yeah. else. Yeah. You know, um, and so authors, Brandon, has been asked. You know, is it is it better for us to buy a hardback or a paperback for you? Like, I know you make more on a hardback. He goes, actually, it's better for you if you can to buy two paperbacks and then hand one of them to a mm -hmm. friend. Yeah. You know, even even that. if we even if I made less money on those two than I did on a hardback book, it's still more worth it to do that. Mm -hmm. Like, well, that makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. 
yeah, it's tough. It's tough to, to, you mm-hmm. know, feel like you've got something that people are going to say, you know, you've got to read this. So. Yep. Yep. And for, I've been seeing it work uh, on a really micro level for weight of gold because I, I launched it initially just to, um, my own circle, <laughs> My Mm -hmm. own like social media circle, family, friends. I haven't tried to expand outside of that yet. Um, I just don't have the the resources and, and, you know, time resources, you know, big one. But I I don't have those resources right now to push it further. My plan is to do that this summer after I've finished the MFA. Um, (laughs) And have like more time to do that and more energy to focus on that. Um, Man, doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> After I'm done with the MFA, I can tackle this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if I'm not actively like saying, okay, I have to get this done today, it's this huge weight in the back of my mm-hmm. head. Mm-hmm. So I I can absolutely understand anybody saying, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna, gotta wait for this. Wait, to, wait for till this June. To yeah. No. Yeah, absolutely. And I... But I've still seen it happening, even on that smaller scale of just the people who who know me personally, whether they know me through the internet or in real life. Um, but I've I've seen these people who you know pick up my book because they know me, and they're like, "Oh, Janae wrote a book," and um, and that's been awesome. But then I see them then go and post about it on their social medias and say this book was so good and or they'll tell me like I need to buy another copy from you to send to this person or mm-hmm. oh I was on the plane and I gave away the book on the plane so I need another mm-hmm. one things like yeah. that where I'm like finding out yeah this really is how it works this is how you expand your audience is yeah. you, you get the people who are those diehard fans who are following you and following your content all the time and then they give away this book on the plane or um write about it on their social media and it's it's a very small scale that i'm seeing with with weight of gold right now because again i i i haven't marketed it yet but it's encouraging to see it already working that way because then well, it's, it feels like I could actually do this. I could actually build an audience. Yeah. yeah. And it's also, you know, part of one of the things that really helps that is a back catalog. Mm-hmm. Hey, you yeah. know, I don't have just one novel out. I've got seven novels out now. And, yeah. you know, five of them are one series and the other two are standalones or something. Yeah. That's when that's when it gets really kind of starts getting interesting for people. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm writing with the idea that this this thesis novel and the, the the thesis part of the novel is only going to be about a quarter of the novel. Mm-hmm. And I'm not backing down on that, but I'm yeah. like, yeah, sure. It's the whole thing <laughs> in order to get through the class. Yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, I'm looking at it as the first in, in a series, mm-hmm. in a, what could potentially be a, a fairly long series. So I'm kind of excited mm-hmm. about that, but we'll see. I mean, I've got a lot to learn. So. Yeah. I've heard darn. from a lot of authors. Um, that they look like they're an overnight success, but really they're a 10 year overnight success. I think a lot of people have heard that before, but you know, they get this one book that ends up being super successful pretty quickly. And it looks like, Oh, you just wrote the book and then it like took off and there was luck, 
But then you look, they have, you know, a back catalog of 10 other novels. Yeah. And each new novel brought new people, grew the audience a little bit more, um, created yeah. loyalty with a fan base who consistently was seeing good quality work. Yeah. And then, you know, there's that kind of tipping point where it becomes, um, you know, it can, it can really take off, but it takes time to grow it to that point where it can, you know, get to that tipping point. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called tipping point. If anybody is kind of interested in how that stuff works and it's brilliant. And it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, you get to this point of growth where all of a sudden it takes off like a rocket. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting. And you're right. Like no no writer is an overnight. Like I just came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's back that up. Very, very, very few, very few are. You it, know? it does happen, but it is so rare. Yeah. So rare. Well, look at how long Christopher Paolini was self-publishing Aragon before before he got picked up. Like mm-hmm. he he was, you know, they were selling at conventions and stuff for quite a while, a couple of years before it really got picked up. And and so, he had an edge too, because he was a teenager, and that gives you yeah. an edge. Yeah. 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 Thanks for the reminder. <laughs> No, it's, you know, again, it's the teenager thing is, is also still very rare, which is part of why it gives you an edge is because it's a rare thing to see a teenager write a epic fantasy. A big, yeah, a big part of your platform or your brand is your story. Mm-hmm. So you really need to figure out how to leverage your story as best you can. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a book called Unfair Advantages. Um, I haven't read it yet, but apparently it's all about doing that exact thing, figuring mm-hmm. out what advantages you have and just brutally taking advantage of them. Mm-hmm. I'm writing that down. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. I have a copy floating around here somewhere. So yeah. Someday I'll get to it. <laughs> After the MFA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that is our time for today. Uh, we have been your host, Ludlow Adams. And J.S. Garrity. Thanks for tuning in. Join us next week for a new topic about the world of fiction. This has been We're Lying, But That's Okay. Big thanks to our listeners for your support. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review. Thank you to our one-man production and tech support team, Max Garrity, for making this podcast possible. 